Our topic today out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, who is the anti-Messiah? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Who is the anti-Messiah? And I'm not going to tell you who the anti-Messiah is, but you're going to tell me who the anti-Messiah is. But before we get to that answer, we're going to look at some clues. Now let's start with some review. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision and he sees a, or a dream and Daniel interprets it, a statue with a head of gold, chest of silver, middle of brass, legs of iron, and then uh, feet of iron and clay. So four different metals, five different segments, and then a sixth segment of a stone coming and destroying the statue, hitting the statue at the feet and destroying the entire statue. Then Daniel 7, beginning part of Daniel 7, which we already did, and if you missed Daniel 2 or Daniel 7, go to shalomadventure.com and you can see it there or review it there and get familiar with that. Um, so in Daniel 7, Daniel has a, a, a dream or a vision, I forget, and then he sees a lion with eagle's wings, he sees a leopard with four wings and four heads, he sees a bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth, and he sees a dragon with ten horns uh, coming up uh, with iron teeth and ten horns. And we looked at those comparisons and those four animals uh, match up with the four metals of the Daniel chapter 2. And the first segment, the, the head of gold and the lion with eagle's wings represent Babylon. The chest of silver and the bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth represents Medo-Persia. The waist of brass and the four-headed leopard with uh, four wings represents Greece and then the iron legs and the iron teeth beast represents Rome and then the iron feet and with iron feet and clay iron and clay mixed together and the uh, with the ten toes and the ten horns on the beast represents when Rome dissolved dissolved into uh, the ten nations that we have now as, as Europe, and it's multiplied even more than that since then, but, but the beginning it was ten nations that it divided up into. And so that's our history outline from Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, and that's a very, very important blueprint and, and foundation, because everything is going to continue to build off of that. All the rest of Daniel, all the rest of Revelation, and, and, and all the rest of the chapters are going to continue to repeat this this uh, theme over and over again with expounding and adding more details to this same outline. So Daniel 2, again, is very clear, very simple, and that's what we use, and stay with that. It's, it's so easy to jump off and to go somewhere else with the next chapter or another chapter, and that, that then gets you off on a tangent into the wrong, wrong place. That's where you're just looking at the events and going, oh, that sounds interesting, and then look at the newspapers and, and, and pull a text out, and, and try and make it apply. But no, everything sticks with the Daniel 2 blueprint. That's it. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then Rome, iron continues into, till the very end. The iron continues all the way till the stone comes. So all the way to the end of time. And so one of the principles that we talked about, that the prophecies go from the time of the prophet to the end of time. All of them do that. And again, it's not chronological. Daniel's not chronological. You have Daniel 2, then Daniel 7 goes back and reviews it. Daniel 8 and 9 will go back and review it. Daniel uh, 
10, 11, and 12, we'll come back to Daniel's time and take us to the end of time. And then Revelation's going to do the same thing. It's going to go from John's day to the end of time with the seven congregations and then the seven trumpets back from John's day to the end of time, back with the seven seals from John's day to the end of time, and so on. Again, it's not chronological, it just continues to review. Just like when we study uh, American history in school, every year the teacher covers the same 200 or so years with more and more details each year as we grow. And it's the same thing with prophecy. Don't go off on any tangent. Stay with the Daniel 2 structure. Stay with that blueprint and everything else will make sense. You go off, you get all kinds of weird things. Okay, so that's, that's the basis. We saw in Daniel 2 that after the statues established, he saw in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Right? So that iron down to the end, and then God's kingdom gets established. He destroys the statue, destroys every, this old world, and makes a new heavens and a new earth, and all the old things have passed away, and God sets up his eternal kingdom. And so it goes with that blueprint, nowhere else. Right? Four irons, five segments. That's it. There's no fifth iron, and the fifth segment is not clay and aluminum or something like that. It's clay and iron, so that iron, that Rome, continues to the end of time. And that's the focus of Bible prophecy. And in this Daniel 7, the four great beasts that came up from the sea, each different from the other. Right? So there you got four beasts. Another principle, as it describes these beastly powers, that it's not necessarily describing that they're bad or beastly or, you know, there's some mean, beastly things, uh, doing horrible things, crushing underfoot and tearing, ripping and, uh, apart, as it describes there. But it's still not describing individuals within that kingdom. Right? We have Babylonian kingdom, the first kingdom, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is probably saved. Uh, and, and then we have the Roman kingdom, tough as iron and crushing as it goes forth with iron teeth beast. But then there were Roman centurions who gave their lives to the Lord, right? And no doubt many other Romans as well. And so individuals are saved within these kingdoms, but it's talking again broad spectrum on, on, on kingdoms that are affecting the earth. And again, it's not necessarily the whole earth. It's only the Bible prophecy focuses in on the events and the kingdoms that directly affect the majority of God's people and the majority of where God's word is. Again, we saw that outline going down right on through to the Ten Kingdoms, Rome. Nothing, you know, God loves the people in Australia and God loves the people in, in, uh, in Brazil and, and uh, you know, uh, Russia, wherever. But, uh, but the focus of Bible prophecy is not where communism is and not where the outskirts of, of God's, but where the focus of God's people have been. Right? And so after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, and then there was another revolt in 135 A.D. under the Bar Kokhba revolt. And the Romans came through and decimated even more fully. Where did the gospel primarily go? Paul took it and, 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 and others. Uh, the gospel primarily went up towards Europe. Right? You had Rome. You had uh, uh, Greece with Philippi and, and Thessalonica and Corinth. And that's where the gospel primarily took root. It went other places, it went out to India and other places, into Ethiopia, but where it primarily took root, right, where was the first, where the Bible's printed and translated? Starting in, in, uh, in Europe, right? And so that's where the focus of Bible prophecy moves. Okay, so, so we looked a little bit at Daniel, 
We have these beasts in Daniel, and we're going to compare the book of Daniel with Revelation 13. Daniel chapter 7 with Revelation 13. Those four beasts that we just looked at, lion with eagle's wings, the uh, bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth, the leopard with four wings and four heads, and the beast with iron teeth and ten horns. Right? Those four, we're going to compare that with Revelation 13. I stood on the sand, this is Revelation 13.1, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Where did those four beasts come up out of in, in Daniel chapter 7? Out of the sea. So we already have a match. They're all coming up out of the sea. All right, we're going to some, see some, a lot of parallels here. And that's coming up out of the sea is significant. It parallels, and we'll get into more about the sea in another, another chapter. But uh, they come up out of the sea, rising up out of the sea. Both of them do that. Having seven heads and ten horns, on his horns were ten crowns. So ten crowns, kingdoms, right? Seven heads. Ten horns. So there's one beast coming up out of the sea with seven heads and ten horns in Revelation 13. So a revelation is going to have this bluish background to it, and, of, and Revelation 13 and Daniel 7 is going to have a reddish background to it. So this is Daniel 7, the beast in Daniel 7. How many heads do you see in the Daniel 7 beasts? Am I good at counting? How many heads do you see? Seven. Seven heads, right? One on the beast, one on the bear, one on the lion, but four on the leopard. Seven heads. How many horns? Ten horns. So Daniel 7 has seven heads, ten horns. Revelation 13 has seven heads, ten horns. Back to Revelation 13, verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet like the feet of a bear. Sounding familiar? So we got a beast, a leopard, a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. This is Revelation 13, mentioning the same creatures that are there in Daniel chapter 7. So we have, again, the, so mentioned there, the beast and the, and the uh, leopard and the bear and a lion, and Daniel 7, we got those same animals represented. And so comparing the two, Daniel 7 out of the sea, Revelation 13 out of the sea, Daniel 7, seven heads, ten horns, Revelation 13, seven heads, ten horns, Daniel 7, it's lion, bear, leopard, beast. Revelation 13, beast, leopard, bear, lion. Mentioning the same four, but they got switched somehow. You see that in Revelation, uh, Daniel 7, lion, bear, leopard, beast, Revelation 13, beast, leopard, bear, lion. And maybe John, when he was looking at it, he just listed them wrong, right? Maybe he should have listed them lion, bear, leopard, beast. Why did he say beast, uh, leopard, bear, lion? Because it really is a perfect match in being switched that way. Because one of the principles we already said is the prophecies go from the time of the prophet to the end of time. And so we have Daniel going from Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. But when does John come along? John comes along while Rome is already in power. And so John is looking back. Daniel was looking forward in prophecy into the future. John is looking back in history to the past. 
And so he's looking, from Daniel's perspective, he's seeing down the timeline of history, he's seeing Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. John is looking, and he's looking at Rome, Greece, Persia. Right? If I was to stand here, and someone was to say, describe what's on the, on, the, on the bima with you. I'd say a plant, a shofar, the havdalah candles, and a speaker. Right? But if I was standing over here, and someone asked me the same thing, I'd say the speaker, havdalah candles, uh, shofar, and plant. Right? So it depends on what perspective you are, is how you're looking at things. Now, you might miss that and just kind of surface reading it, or, or you might, uh, someone might see that and just think, well, maybe a little mistake there or whatever. But really, it's put there, and it just shows the divine, uh, divine making of the Bible. And I don't think John would have just made that up and thought that through, but that's how it was shown to him, that's how he saw it, because that's the perspective that God is looking at it from, as God is doing the timeline. So he's mentioning these all just as one beast because these are all the past. And so he's just summarizing it really quickly for John. God's just summarizing it really quickly for John just to get him up to speed. But then the majority of the prophecy picks up there and then continues on into the future. But we see the distinct parallels between these two chapters already, right? Definitely out of the sea and seven heads, ten horns. Obviously talking about the same powers in these two chapters. Daniel 7, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a little horn. All right, so all that we just did, that was all just review. Again, from Daniel 2, Daniel 7, you can see that at shalomadventure.com. And if it's not uh, currently there, you just go in the search and just type in Daniel 7 or Daniel 2, and it'll bring it up for you. And this is where we're picking up. This is where we left off. This little horn comes up among them, among the ten horns. So who is this little horn power? That's what you're going to discover tonight. That's what you're going to record on your paper. That's what you're going to hand in. That's what you're going to tell me of who this little horn power is. Now, to do that, we're going to come up with 10 identifications between Daniel 7 and Daniel 13. We're going to collect these identifications. We're going to collect the evidence and bring it forward. And then we're going to see exactly who this power is. But now we don't want to jump ahead. There's 10 of them, so don't jump ahead. We need all the evidence, right? Just like uh, if there was a wanted poster, right? If someone, you know, the police come knocking on the door here and say there was a robbery down the road, and the witnesses said that the, that, that the, that the, the, the accused was running in this direction, and we want to see if he's in the building here, right? And so they come in here, and, and they say, oh, it, it was a person with a, with, a, with a beard. And so they arrest me, right? And I'm out. That's it. Would that be enough evidence? No, you don't want to get arrested just on one piece of evidence, right? So you need all the evidence. They say, well, he was about this age and, and about this height and about this weight and this color hair, right? You need all the evidences, right, to bring it all together, right? So if they said, well, he had totally gray hair and, and uh, you know, all the different evidences you need to come up with it. You wouldn't want to be arrested just on one th one evidence that you know, describes you, they say, oh, it was a woman, right? They can just arrest you. Well, the accused, they said it was a woman, and you're a woman, so they take you in, right? That wouldn't be right. But that's how a lot of people do Bible prophecy. They grab one part of a text, one part of the prophecy, and they go, see, and it fits right here, and then they run with it, and they, they preach sermons on it, and post it, and, and get a whole bunch of followers, and write books on it. And that is how a lot of prophecy is done, using one verse or just one portion of the verse or even just a few 
Would you want to be arrested if 8 out of 10 of the identifications of the criminal matched you? And 2 didn't match you at all? Would you think that would be right? Would that be fair? If you were on a jury, would you, would you sentence someone to life in prison or to the, to the electric chair because 8 out of the 10 things match them, but the other 2 don't match them at all? Would that be right? Would that be just? Would that be fair? So we're going to look at all 10, so don't jump to any conclusions until you have all 10 in place. Okay, does that sound fair? All right, I considered the horns, and behold, so that's another principle. Get all the evidence from all the Bible texts and bring it all together. So that's another principle. Principle from Daniel's day, from the prophet's day to the end of time, that these beastly powers are not necessarily talking about good or bad people, but about kingdoms and about systems, about governments and organizations that are encompassing and that it affects God's people directly. Okay. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. All right, it's coming up among them, and it's coming up among who? Among the ten horns. All right, so this little horn power comes up among the horns that became Europe, and it's coming up out of the beast, which was Rome, coming up out of the Roman Empire, right? So not from somewhere else. It's not a little horn popping up out of the earth somewhere. It's a little horn coming up out of the beast. So it's something that comes out of what was the Roman Empire, and it comes out mentioned with the ten horns, so it's after the Roman Empire collapsed. So that's important key. So key number one, that it comes up out of Rome in Europe. Right? That is very important. Just lay the foundation right there. That's where it starts. It comes up out of that beast, not another, another fifth beast or anything like that, but out of that fourth beast, that beast of Rome, that iron-toothed beast, and among the ten horns. So at the time when the ten horns are there, so the time when Rome is collapsing and becoming those ten nations. Before whom there were three of the horns plucked up by the roots. So as this little horn is coming up out of that beast of the Roman Empire, three of the ten horns get knocked out. So that gives us our timing. And we know when, historically, we know when those three horns got knocked out. So as Rome was collapsing and, and these ten nations were getting established, there was some jostling going on, and three of the nations of that original European block get knocked out as this little horn power is coming to power. So that helps us greatly in knowing our time frame. The first one, the Heruli, they get knocked out. And then another emperor, Justinian, exterminated the Vandals in 543 AD and then broke the power of the Ostrogoths in 538 AD. So the third of those three horns, the third of the, the, those three nations get knocked out by 538 AD. So at that same time, 538 AD, this little horn power starts to come into prominence and, and power. It was at this time that Justinian, the emperor, still having some power as the Roman Empire is collapsing, it was at this time that Justinian made a decree establishing the Bishop of Rome as the political and religious leader of Western Rome. So a, trans, a change is taking place at that period in time from, from the Roman Empire to the next stage, just like the Bible prophecy. We've got to remember, Daniel wrote these things 
long before. John wrote these things long before, hundreds of years before, and yet the Bible accuracy just matches perfectly up. That there'd be ten horns, there weren't ten horns in John when John was alive, and three of them didn't get knocked out in John's days, but he describes exactly what's going to happen, and that's exactly what happened hundreds of years later. Back to Daniel 7, verse 21. The same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Now, Revelation 13. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Right? Almost word for word, several words, exact same words in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. Again, very clearly it's talking about the same powers here that are, taking, that are happening here in these two chapters. So they make war with the saints, his power makes war with the saints and overcomes them, prevails against them. Well, again, someone just wanting to grab a verse goes, oh, look at that, that sounds like Hitler. Oh, that sounds like the Nazis. And then they just run with it. Oh, see, it's a persecuting power. It's hurting God's people. Came about of Europe, and they can just run with that and then, and then be way off, right? Was the Nazi power as a, as a world-dominating power, as a nation of itself, is no longer. But it's looking at, the Bible's looking at Processes over a long period of time. God's in the big picture of things, not the little minute things. I mean, that was a big thing, the Nazis, no doubt. But historically, time-wise, did a lot of damage, but came and went. God's looking at the big premise over the thousands of years and hundreds of years each one. And you get all the ten identifications. So it persecutes Bible believers as well as came up when those three horns get knocked out, as well as comes up out of Rome, out of Europe. And he speaks great words against the Most High. Daniel 7, verse 25. Verse, Revelation 13, verse 5. And was a had a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Right? So what's this blasphemies? What's these words against the Most High? Well, in order to get a definition for that, we go to the Bible to get our definition for things. That's where we go. We don't go to Google or, or whatever. We go to the Bible and let the Bible explain itself. So what is Bible blasphemy according to the Bible? So Bible text says in John chapter 10, verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you, being a man, made yourself God. So that's what the Bible says. That's what the Torah says. If someone blasphemes, if someone claims to be God, you stone them. So they were doing the right thing as far as interpreting. They, they under, obviously understood what he was teaching. They understood what he was saying. Yeshua was claiming to be God. That was pretty plain in the parables and the things that he was saying, and they obviously understood that. It wasn't just another nice guy or just another prophet or something like that. He was claiming to be God, and they understood that. That's why they picked up stones, because they knew that was the, the punishment for someone who says they are God. And so they were right in doing that because he's saying he is God. And so they're picking up the stones to do that. Were they able to stone him? No. He walked right through them. God didn't allow it to happen. Father in heaven didn't allow it to happen. Why? Because he was God here on earth. He was Emmanuel. And so they were not able to stone him because it wasn't blasphemy to say you're actually it. Right? It's not a lie for me to say I'm Jeff, right? That's my name, I'm Jeff, right? That's not a lie, right? But if I, if I said my name is Bob, then that'd be a lie, right? So it's not a lie, right, to, to say what it is. And so he wasn't lying, he wasn't committing blasphemy. He was telling the truth. 
But blasphemy is to say, one of the things is to say that you're God or God's representative here on this earth. In Luke chapter 5, verse 21, and the Pharisees and the, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's right, only God can forgive sins. And anyone who claims to forgive sins other than God is committing blasphemies. So again, they were right in their understanding of the word blasphemy. They were understanding in the right of they were right in their understanding of the Torah. But since Yeshua was God, Emmanuel, God here on earth, God in the flesh, he was able to forgive sins. But this power commits blasphemies because it claims to forgive sins and it claims to be the power of God here on this earth. Which means it's a religious power, right? Claiming to forgive sins, it has this religious aspect to it, and claiming the power of God. So when it says it speaks against God most high, not necessarily speaking against him like communism, speaking against it, denying it, but speaking against it and saying that I'm it. By taking the authority and the prerogatives of God and placing it upon themselves, that is what blasphemy is. See, again, you need the two texts. That he speaks against the Most High, but how does he speak about, against it? Not again in cursing God or denying God, but in speaking blasphemies, claiming the authority, the power, and the, the abilities of God to forgive sins, etc. He's, Daniel 7, verse 25, He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. So again, this is the third time it talks about wearing out the saints, persecuting the saints, that's a big part of it. And shall think to change times and laws. Not that it does, but it thinks that it can, because it can't change God's laws, but it thinks to, it attempts to, thinks to change God's times and laws. Now which one of God's laws has time in it? Which one of the Ten Commandments has time in it? The Sabbath commandment, exactly. Think to change the Sabbath. Think to change God's laws. Think to change the times and laws of God. So that's another identification. Tries to change God's law pertaining to time. Now I have a friend, uh, a Jewish man, and he was studying Daniel chapter 7, and he came to the conclusion that this little horn power must be Jesus Christ. Because he said, look at, look at all the Christians, they go to church on Sunday, and so Jesus must have changed. He never read the, the first, second part of the Bible, but he figured, look, at, it must have been Jesus who changed Sabbath to Sunday. And that's why they all do that. And so he said, Jesus must be this little horn power. Again, he's just looking at one aspect and looked at one aspect, and that reasoning then was actually uh, you know, pretty logical using that. Well, who changed God's Sabbath? Who changed God's law pertaining to time? Well, it must have been Christianity, because they're, they're, they're calling their Sabbath their, uh, their Sunday, Sabbath to Sunday, Sunday to Sabbath. And so that was his reasoning. And it was actually in thinking that and then telling people that at the college he was at, he met a, a believer who said, no, 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 not all believers uh, who believe the, the Bible and believe in the Messiah, and he showed him that it wasn't Yeshua who, who changed the Sabbath, the day of worship to Sunday, and it was through the study of Daniel chapter 7 and seeing that it wasn't Yeshua, but it was another power, and that Yeshua kept the laws. He said, I do not come to change the times or laws. Right? Not one jot nor tittle of the law will change or be removed. And so in seeing what Yeshua actually said regarding times and laws, my friend ended up coming and accepting Yeshua 
in the study of Daniel chapter 7. So this is an example of how understanding it correctly can lead us to truth, and how just looking at one line of it can get you off on a totally wrong tangent. But his thinking, his reasoning, had some validity to it. Verse, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times. Right? It's a time, time, dividing of times. What well, we saw in Daniel chapter 5, where the king loses his mind for, for I forget how, seven times. So time represented years. Right? So a year. Time is a year. So they shall be given into his hand, right? The saints, he'll persecute the saints, he'll wear out the saints for a time, times, and, half, time, and a half a time. So a time is a year. So times, that's plural, that'd be two years, and a half a time, right? A half of a time, be a half, right? Or a dividing of a time, a time divided in half, right? And so you have a time and times, so you got two and plus one, you got three and a half a time, three and a half years. That's Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Revelation 13, verse 5, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. How many months are in three and a half years? 42. So again, an exact parallel between Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. Written a little bit differently there. Again, God has his way of putting the puzzle together that the seeker, like Yeshua talking in parables, so that the seeker will understand and, and realize it. So 42 months is three and a half years. But he's talking in prophetic time here, and we'll get into explanation of prophetic time more when we do Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9. But for now, let's add this up. So a month, biblical month is 30 days. So 42 prophetic months, 30 days in a month, is 1,260 prophetic days, right? So three and a half years is 1,260 days, or 42 months is 1,260 days. Now in Bible prophecy, a day equals a year. And we have some good Bible examples of that, right? When we were wandering in the wilderness, we came up to the, uh, for the first two years or so, we were in the wilderness, got the Ten Commandments, built the tabernacle. We come up to the Jordan River, and Moses sends over 12 spies, one spy from every one of the tribes. And they're over there, and they were over there for 40 days. And they come back, and two of them, Caleb and Joshua, give a good report. God's given us the land. It's a wonderful land. Let's go and, and attack it. The other ten said, no, 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 there's giants in the land and there's not enough food for us. We better not go. And they scare the majority of the people and their people refuse to go in. And so then God gives a decree and says, you will wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were in the land. So for every day equals a year. And in the book of Ezekiel, we have another similar thing. Ezekiel verse, chapter 4, verse 6, God tells Ezekiel, I have given you a day for a year. God has Ezekiel lay on his side for so many days, prophesying how many years the certain event, and I forget exactly what it was, a day for a year principle there as well. So he does it in literal days representing literal years, or prophetic days representing literal years, okay? So 1,260 days in prophecy, represents 1,260 years, literally. Okay, so there's 
Again, so during that time, this power is going to be persecuting the saints. Persecuting the people of God. That's again, where Bible prophecy is focusing is where God's people primarily are and where the Bible primarily is, right? So where is the Bible being outlawed during that time? Where is the Bible being restricted from the people during that time? So, shall rule for 1,260 years. So another principle, it's not talking about an individual, right? The prophecies are not about individuals. The head of gold wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar, it was the Babylonian kingdom. It was him and his son and his grandson, as long as the Babylonian kingdom was there. The, the Greek, the, Greek uh, Greece, the, the leopard with eagle's wings, or with four wings, represented Alexander the Great, conquering very, very rapidly, very, very quickly, but not just him, it represented all the Greek kingdom, the four heads and all time, 200 years that Greece was ruling over that area. So it's not individuals, right? Not individual people, but systems. And this particular system reigns for 1,260 years, starting when? When those three horns get plucked out, right? So starting 538, when that third horn gets plucked out. And then reigns in persecuting power for 1,260 years. Bible prophecy is very, very specific. Revelation 13, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Okay, so this power receives this mortal wound. When does it receive this mortal wound? It receives the mortal wound at the end of the 1,260 years. Now again, there's people who, who, who run with this and, and, and come up with all different kinds of things. Someone gets, you know, a wound and, oh, this is who it is. So it will lose its power, receives a mortal wound, at the end of that 1,260 years. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So it receives a mortal wound, but not a deadly wound, because it gets healed, and it comes back to power sometime after that 1,260 years. So it receives this mortal wound, and then it gets healed, and comes back to power, and so much power that it has a worldwide following, following this beast power. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. We'll come back to that again. Over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So it regains its power, has a worldwide following, and a worldwide impact. All right, that's <coughs> clue number eight. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. That's Revelation 13, verse 4. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Right? So they're worshiping this beast power. So if it's a worship that's going on, that's a religious connotation. Right? So it has to do with worship. So again, it's not an irreligious, non-worshipping uh, kingdom or authority that's going on. It's a, it's a kingdom that is receiving of worship from its people. And even those that are not, but, but worldwide receiving of worship and adoration. Sets up a worship system. So it's a religious, but it's still a beast, so it's political as well. It's a horn coming up out of the power, so it's a political power, but it's also a religious power. It's a religio-political power. Okay, that's clue number nine. One more. 
Revelation 13, 18, and his number is 666. The number of his name is 666. And there are people who run with that one and go, oh, 666, oh, that's it. Oh, so there are, you know, people are afraid to see, oh, you, they live in a building that's uh, 666 uh, 13th Avenue, you know, and, and oh, that's the beast power. And, uh, uh, or uh, there's, there's hotels that their elevators don't have a sixth floor because they're afraid of someone having a room 600, six floor 666 or something like that. I mean, you look from the outside, there's a sixth floor, you know, but, but in the elevator, there's no sixth floor. It goes five, seven. They don't have a sixth floor. Apartment complex is some, uh, all for fear of this, oh, this 666. But that's only one of the 10 identifications. People have run with this, oh, 60, don't get those, when, when barcodes start to be putting on canned foods, oh, don't, be, don't buy any canned uh, corn anymore, that's a barcode, you're going to get the mark of the beast as a result. And, and uh, computer, digital, oh, be careful, that's the, that's the mark of the beast, all this stuff. Right? People have been eating canned corn for a long time now since then. Right? So all these theories that come up based on one part. There was some that said, oh, this is Ronald Reagan, because his first name has six letters, his middle name had six letters, and his last name had six letters, 666. And he was uh, attempted to be assassinated and received a mortal wound, but then he was healed. And, uh, and so, oh, it's Ronald Reagan, they, they said. So, you know, just running with two, two, two things. And you get off on all kinds of tangents that way. Uh, people say, oh, this is Islam. Well, Islam meets a lot of the different things. Islam persecuted God, has been persecuting power, uh, God's people certainly for a long time. But it didn't come up out of Rome, didn't come up out of Europe. I don't know of three nations that got knocked, up as, knocked out as it, as it came to power. Uh, it's rained for over 1,260 years, but I don't know of a specific 1,260 year period of its time that it's uh, that that was very specific certainly has a worldwide following and a worldwide uh, impact it's certainly a religious political power so it meets some of them but not all of them it has to meet all of these things to come together to be rightly understood and rightly identified again we don't want and certainly islam is an important power in bible prophecy but not yet we'll get to that further on. Again, it's going to continue to expand. Bible prophecy will, will stays with that blueprint, stays with that Daniel 2 blueprint, never gets off that, no chapter gets off that, and, but it expands and expands as other things come into play with it. So we'll get into Islam another time. But we need to look at what is, meets all 10 identifications, clearly meets all 10 identifications. And again, the 666 aspect is, is kind of hard to just see on the surface. But when you think about it, because right, it's a number of his name is 666. So his name, his name must be, have letters to it. Well, what's uh, some languages that their letters, of their, uh, their letters are also numbers? Hebrew's that way, right? But Hebrew, Hebrew didn't come up out of Rome, out of Europe, right? But Rome, Rome, Latin, right? Roman numerals are the same as the Latin, Latin letters, right? And so you take the number, the, the, the name, or one of the names of this power, and you look at it in Roman letters, and you calculate the Roman letters for it, and you'll come up with 666. So that's, again, a very simple one, or not so simple one, but not so easy to see, but it does fit. But don't make your whole, don't put all your weight on that. Again, as many people have done, with all worried about 666 and all like that, and 
fearing six-floor elevators and stuff like that. But look at all the rest of the nine in particular, and we should be able to come up with a conclusion. Well, that's in another chapter, and we'll get into that in another portion. Um, so write your answers on your paper and, and get ready to pass them in. And while you're doing that, so be thinking about it, look at all things, all that matches all ten of these things, and write your answers down. And while you're doing that, while you're thinking about that, I want to continue on with some other text out of this chapter, because thankfully that's what, where the Bible prophecy ends. Another principle is the focus is not on the beast, but the focus is on the lamb, right? The lamb of God. That revelation, it's the first line in the book of Revelation, is the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Right? It's not the revelation of the beast. It's not the revelation of the mark of the beast. It's the re re revelation of Yeshua, the revealing of Yeshua. And so we want to focus on that. And thankfully, this prophecy doesn't end with this beast power persecuting the saints and, and having this worldwide impact. And again, remember, as you're thinking about this power, it's just a power that, that, that uh, has been used down through the ages. Right? Uh, uh, Satan used uh, a serpent to, to trick Eve. Right? Doesn't mean that all snakes are bad, right? Uh, well, I don't particularly like snakes so much, but not all snakes are bad. Some snakes eat mice and stuff like that, right? But he just used that instrument. And so he's using these various instruments, these various powers, down through the ages. Again, not that all, everyone associated with it are evil. Even some of the leaders, right, might have come to the Lord like Nebuchadnezzar and be saved. And, and so even of the current power. This is the power that takes us down to the very end of time. So Revelation, or Daniel, rather, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. The court will sit, his dominion, talking about this horn power, his dominion will be taken away to be destroyed and abolished for all time. So the power is not going to reign forever. It has its limits. The stone is going to come and destroy the statue and all the kingdoms of this world. A court will sit, God's judgment will sit, and this power will be judged according to God's word and will ab be abolished for all time. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven. One like the son of man. Who's that? Yeshua. One like the son of man. Right? Again as he was here, came in the human flesh, came as Emmanuel, God with us, one as the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. And it was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. All right, so Yeshua sets up the eternal kingdom, and as it said here, and all kingdom, a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages shall serve him. What did it say about that little horn power? That it gains a worldwide following and all people and nations and languages shall follow him, right? So it's the counterfeit. So Lucifer doing a counterfeit with this beast power. But God is the eternal one. Yeshua is the eternal one. He will have an everlasting rule that will last uh, forever and ever and will have full dominion, and all that survive, all that remain, all that are saved, will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So let's compare those two. Let's compare the beast with the lamb. So we've got the beast on the left-hand side, or the little horn on the left-hand side, in the white, and then Yeshua, the lamb, in the gold. Number one, comes up out of Rome. Well, Yeshua was born while Rome was still there, under Roman rule. Yeshua came up out of Rome as well, in a sense. Number two, three nations were knocked out as it came to power. Well, Yeshua will knock out all nations. Yeshua will destroy all nations. The stone will come and destroy all the statues and all the nations of this world. Three, persecutes Bible believers. Yeshua upholds Bible believers. Four, this power claims to be able to forgive sins and be the power of God on earth. Yeshua does forgive sins and is the power of God in this earth and in the universe. Five, tries to change God's laws. Yeshua wrote the laws and he fully kept them while he lived here in the flesh, when he came in the flesh. Shall rule for 1,260 years. Yeshua shall rule forever. But not only shall Yeshua rule forever, the little horn power has dominion for that one, or persecutes for 1,260 years. How long was 1,260 days? How many years? Three and a half years? Time, times, and half a time? 42 months? How long did Yeshua minister? Three and a half years. What happens to the beast power at the end of three and a half years? Receives a mortal wound. What happened to Yeshua at the end of three and a half years? Received a deadly wound. Died for our sins. And then what happens to the little horn power sometime after that? His deadly wound, his mortal wound is healed, and he gets a worldwide following. And after Yeshua gets that deadly wound, that mortal wound, he's resurrected three days later, and then as all dominion and all power given unto him and seated at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven and will reign forever and ever. See how the, the devil tries to use this power as a counterfeit. The whole thing is a counterfeit to the true. And counterfeits, to look real, have to appear like the, uh, the real, right? If someone gave you a $100 bill, but it was red or blue... <laughs> Right? You wouldn't be tricked by that, would you? You'd know it was a counterfeit, so a counterfeit has to appear as if it's really there. It's right on board. It's acting right along the line with, with, with the real thing. And that's what makes it so deceptive. You don't see it so easily. That's why it needs 10 identifications. And again, this is just the start. We haven't gotten to Daniel 8 and 9 and, and so on and the rest of Revelation, which will bring it out more and more. But even from where we've seen thus far, we can see. So this power loses its power, receives a deadly wound. Yeshua received a deadly wound. Eight, it has a worldwide following. Yeshua, all the world, all the universe shall bow before him. Nine, it's a religious power. Yeshua is certainly a religious power and has all power. And his name equals 666, the little horn, the beast power. But Yeshua's name is above, has a name above all names. So the beast compared to the lamb, the lamb is all. The, the beast is just a, a short period of time, or a long period, but short in the, the realm of eternity here on this earth. So, Barbara, what do we have for our results? 75% said either the Catholic Church or the King of Satan. One person said Satan. Okay, one person said Satan, and certainly Satan is, again, the root of it all, just like Satan used the serpent, right? But, uh, but it used the serpent, right? So it was a... 
Satan's used lots of things down through the ages, so certainly, certainly is the undergirding power, but what's the visible power that Satan is using? Okay. Prince of Tyre or Lebanon. Okay, well, did Tyre or Lebanon come up out of Rome? The Roman Empire? No. They come out of what ended up becoming modern-day Europe? No. Uh, you know, and so it doesn't meet perfectly. It doesn't match it perfectly. Um, it doesn't, uh, I don't know if it lasting, persecuting God believers for 1,260 years or many of the other things. Okay. The throne of England. Okay, well, England does come up out of the Europe area, not necessarily out of Rome itself, but out of the Rome, what was the Roman Empire, it comes up out of uh, Europe. That certainly does fit. I necessarily know of three nations that were knocked up as it came to power. I don't know if England persecuted Bible believers for 1,260 years, per se. Um, I necessarily know when, I guess England has lost some power when it had that worldwide uh, had, you know, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun was the British Empire, but necessarily have a worldwide following. Certainly is not a religious power. It doesn't claim to be a religious power because there is the Church of England. So it meets some of the things, but really not fully all of the things. Okay? And Nancy Pelosi. I don't think she's that old. She's pretty old, <laughs> but she's now 1,260 years old. Uh, and and uh, so not quite that old. And... Uh, so I don't think that meets it. I don't think she came up out of Rome or out of Europe or I don't know where she was born per se, but uh, so. That's it. That's it. Okay, so all the rest got it right. Yeah, so the vast majority got it right. And you see it there through the scriptures. Um, and so it's pretty plain. So let's have a prayer together. And if you're watching this uh, recorded version, I invite you to, to write to me. Write in your, your, your interpretation of how you saw it from those 10 things, what we saw today out of Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. Feel free to write to Rabbi Jeff at jewishheritage.net. Rabbi Jeff at jewishheritage.net. Write that in and we'll have a conversation with that. Feel free to do that. Right, let's have prayer together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we can be prepared for these last days and we can see the times that are at hand. Thank you that you miraculously gave John and Daniel a clear vision of history for thousands of years after their time. Absolutely amazing, with great detail of what would take place. And all of these details have taken place. Thank you, Lord, for preparing us. Thank you for being the Lamb. Thank you for being eternal. Thank you for being sacrificed for us. Thank you for receiving the deadly wound in our behalf. Thank you for being healed and resurrected. Thank you for being Emmanuel, being God here with us. Thank you for giving us forgiveness of sins and power and authority and victory over sin. Live in our hearts and minds in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.